0: Hello and welcome to Beth de In this series of teachings called Spiritual Seasons, we're exploring the weekly Torah portions through the lens of the pattern of salvation that emerges from the calendar. This week, the weekly readings are all connected to Passover. Today, we'll go over some of the main themes of Passover uh, with one eye toward God's pattern of salvation and the spiritual season we're in. What I'm calling the Passover season includes the Moedim of Passover, which I sometimes call Pesach, unleavened bread or matzah, and first fruits, as well as the beginning of the counting of the Omer. The way these various Moedim actually fit together chronologically can be a bit difficult to understand, even if you're looking at a calendar. It's a little confusing when the days are actually starting since they start in the evening. They actually come right on top of each other, as close together as possible. This year, the Seder is Wednesday night. Unleavened bread begins with the Seder. So Pesach, Passover, is kind of the day of preparation, the slaying of the lamb, and it concludes with the Seder. Well, unleavened bread begins with the Seder. So those two are overlapping. Well, the very next night, first fruits begins and we count the first day of the Omer. So these days are all happening or beginning within a tiny window of time of just a couple of days. Now, unleavened bread continues for seven days, and the Omer count continues for 50 days until Shavuot. But all of them are happening or beginning right on those two consecutive evenings. So you can see why you, you seldom see Jewish sources making a strong distinction between these moedim of Pesach, matzah, and first fruits, though they are consistently treated distinctly in the Torah. But they all kind of merge together as the rabbis talk about, mostly just Passover and unleavened bread. The very small time separating these three is an indication that what is moving beneath the surface here is very spiritual in nature, or we can say seed-like. This is because time is an element of the physical world. If something expands in time or in space, that is an expansion in the physical realm. That thing becomes very grounded in physicality in the lowest realm. In contrast, if something is quick or if it is small, These are qualities of things that are less physical and more spiritual. So this very quick succession of Moedim is a clue for us that this season has a deeply spiritual component moving beneath the surface. The night of the Passover Seder in particular is an electric moment. It is a time to be inspired for the whole of the journey ahead in the year, a moment to be lifted up and empowered spiritually. With this teaching I'd like to sort of collect together many of the most important themes that are discussed in relation to this group of spring Moadim, almost like a list. Each of these themes could have many teachings devoted to each one individually, but um, I won't go into too much detail with them. Just let the idea sort of wash over you and be called to mind again. You will have heard most of them many times probably. Uh, At the end though, we will also look at these special days briefly through one specific theme of the year uh, and God's pattern for salvation, and that is the theme of the seed, which you probably haven't heard connected very much to the Passover season. So the first theme I'd like to talk about is really the idea that with any of the Moadim, we're not just remembering something, some historical event, Uh, though remembering is very important. The Moedim are also uh, days to meet with God. They are appointments with God in which he not only meets with us, but also does a new work in us. You don't meet God and come away the same person. God says, come meet with me at my appointed times. I'll be there. Don't leave me waiting on the park bench by myself. On these special days, God does the same types of work in us that he did in Israel over time on each of these days. If Israel is set free from Egypt on the 15th of Nisan, the first month, then we can expect that he will do something of that same nature for us on that day every year, okay? Not just this year, every year, right? That same 15th of Nisan. It's the dates themselves that are shaping the events that happen on them, not the other way around. We think the 15th of Nisan gained significance because of what God did during the Exodus, but it was already God's special day even before the Exodus. It's only part of the story that the Exodus happens on that day. Pharaoh broke when he did. God broke Pharaoh when he did because God designed a day in the yearly calendar for that kind of breaking to happen. That is the day God designed for crushing the rulership of darkness every year. He looked through the days of the year and he said the 15th of Nisan will be a day every year for shattering the domination of physicality, physicality that has run amok. And so it was for, you know, that's the way it was for Israel back then and it will be that way for us. Now, this year as well. And partly so that we can know what he has designed into the calendar, God gave us a very spectacular 15th of Nisan 3,300 years ago when he broke the power of Egypt over Israel and the Exodus began. In some ways, this was the beginning of a whole new level of salvation for mankind, and God made that moment of new beginning. About as dramatic and clear as was possible, and then he commanded us to remember it every year, right memory you know remembering definitely is a part of what's going on here and and especially this one particular day, though there's more happening than just remembering but um I want to make a point about how that first passover in that new phase for humanity. Um, it was just so dramatic and obvious. God's way is to give us a dramatic picture of salvation at the beginning. And so like he did with this beginning point of salvation for humanity, the redemption from Egypt. The beginning of every cycle of salvation has this early complete picture of salvation. The picture is an outright gift meaning that we don't have a big part to play in the salvation that is happening right there at the beginning. You know, a baby doesn't have much to do with its birth process. The gift is a whole picture of salvation in miniature. It is like a seed that we are meant to internalize. And through the gift of the seed at the beginning, God builds up our faith in him. And the memory of this early light is an encouragement to us, especially when the path gets rougher and darker and when we are expected to partner with God more in the process of salvation, right? This partnering comes later. When the way grows dark, we think back to the picture of salvation he gave us at the beginning, this free gift picture. How many times do we read in scripture that God is the God who brought Israel up from the land of Egypt to be their God? We find these words not only coming from the mouth of God himself, but also the mouths of kings and prophets throughout the word. Stephen, too, in the Brit Hadashah, repeats this story just before he is stoned. And Paul repeats it to the synagogue at Antioch. For us today, we are not only encouraged by the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt, which we very intentionally remember at this time of year, according to God's instructions. But we can also expect that God will fashion a kind of seed of salvation every year, each year for us at this time. We should be expecting this kind of gift now. It's not only about remembering Israel's deliverance. It's about receiving a gift of deliverance now in our own lives that will be a touchstone for us moving forward Again, this early picture, this early light is a consistent element built into the beginning of each new cycle of growth. It's like the flowers that form on the trees in the spring. They indicate the life to come, which is the fruit. The fruit has much more substance and life in it than the flower does, but the flower is where the DNA the coming fruit gets put together. The unfolding of that DNA into the fruit will require a long and rather difficult process, a kind of journey. So the flower is both the formation of the DNA and the encouraging picture at the beginning. It's, It's uplifting to see a flower. We're in a time now for the establishing of the DNA for the year to come, in a time to be encouraged. Though much more is happening here than remembering. Remembering is very important. I'll add just a few more points here about the remembering of the Exodus that we do now. The first is that the Moedim are community building times. We usually tell the story, you know, the Seder, the Passover, around our tables in our homes with family and friends It is a festive time and a joyful time. And the Moadim are to be times of joy. And let me encourage you to add to your joy as you gather around your Seder table by personalizing it a bit. Dedicate a short time to mentioning what God has done for you and your family, how he has led you recently or in the past. In speaking out what God has done for you, You help to build up the faith of others, including any children listening. This is a great opportunity to help build and strengthen the family or the community, a way to pass on stories of what God has done for us. We're all to be thinking of ourselves as Israel coming out of Egypt. What has God done for you? What has he done for you? Ask that question at your Seder Another point here is that in remembering Israel's humble beginnings in slavery, we are humbled. Through this story, we are reminded that over and over again, God chooses the lowly to do his best work. And humility is really the key attitude of this season and any growth, you know, point of growth, really. The humility of the lamb is you know, kind of the humility that we are to be fostering in this season, the the lamb led to to slaughter. We focus on being led by the good shepherd at this time of year. And that requires humility. The the of the month of Nisan is the lamb, Aries. The lamb is one of the lowliest of God's creatures, in that it's extremely vulnerable. You know, vulnerable like a slave is lowly and vulnerable. The lamb is in its way obedient and easily led and this keeps it safe, tucked away in the interior of the flock. We should be like the lamb now in setting aside our will and submitting to the will of God our Father, the Good Shepherd. Well, speaking of the lamb brings me to another strong theme of the Passover season the idea of God's strong arm. God is strong and obvious in every way in the Exodus story. You know, we are weak. He is strong in this story. And he's kind of flinging miracles like bolts of lightning. And the sages connect the name of the month, Nisan, to the Hebrew word nase, which means miracles. It's the month of miracles. And, and I think beyond all the miracles, one of the ways that God shows his strength here is by making everything hinge on a very unlikely um, center point. It's the little lambs. The blood of the lamb has the power of life and death in it because God decides that it will carry that power. Again, he chooses that which is low to humble those who raise themselves up to be high like Pharaoh in this case. Everything about the story speaks the message that this is an unlikely salvation, a salvation that is beyond human reason, beyond human design or human ability. How can a people be born from another nation, right? It had never happened before. Well, how can that happen? Oh, it's by the blood of the most timid of all animals that is eaten after that blood is spread on the doorway of the home. You know, doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So Passover is a time to recognize God's sovereignty and power, and that salvation is not found in ourselves, but only in him and in his chosen vessel, which is the lamb. Of course, we know that the lambs of Passover represent Yeshua, and we should remember that Yeshua was killed on the 14th of Nisan apparently just when the lambs were being slain at the temple in preparation for the seders that would happen that night some 2,000 years ago. Yeshua may have been able to actually hear the sounds of the mass slaughter of the lambs happening at the temple while he was hanging on the cross. Many of those lambs were specially raised there locally for just the moment of Passover in the year, and they were raised around the town of Bethlehem, of course, where Yeshua was born. More than any other annual moed, uh, in the Passover season, we focus on what God does for us in salvation when we are lowest and weakest and most vulnerable when we are a newborn. And so this word newborn, Leads, leads us to another great theme of the season, rebirth, which we see happening around us in the springtime. Any step of salvation requires death and rebirth. And so this is just God's way. It's his design. He creates and leads us to the point of giving up our lives, surrendering them. And when we do that, he says, very good, you pass. Now I'm going to create you again and he recreates us only when we you know only we get to um take our growth with us we are not the same people starting a new cycle we're not hamsters endlessly spinning a wheel that goes nowhere we go upward even as we come back around to the same points in the cycle a circle that goes you know round and round is you know, if the circle is going round and round, we keep coming back to Passover and Shavuot in the fall Moedim in the winter. Well, if it just goes round and round, what's the point? We're going round, but we're going up. We're going up. And so that's a spiral. We're spiraling upward. Connected to this point of rebirth, we should mention the importance, you know, just how very important this season is. It's the season of beginnings. So first moments of creation are critical, and we do well to treat such formative moments with intentionality and care. If an adult gets a scratch, it's usually no big deal. But if an embryo gets a scratch, that could be fatal, and and probably would be. And so we see how very strict God can be when something is at this critical point of formation, He is very strict with Israel in the wilderness, for example, and he is just as strict with the young body of believers in the book of Acts. Think of what happens with Ananias and Sapphira, how they are struck dead merely because they told a lie about how much they sold their property for. Now think about what they were doing. They were selling their own property, and they were donating most of that money to the body, and yet at that critical moment of formation, everything needed to be done just right to prevent something creeping in like leaven that will fester and wreak havoc down the line. You can't let any of that leaven in at the beginning because it'll cause huge, you know, a huge influence down the road. And so we should try to rise up to the moment. However we can in these formative days, resist getting bogged down in the physical as much as possible. Be quick, right? Don't don't, uh, let time expand and, you know, take an hour to get out of bed in the morning. Um, Feast at the, the Seder, of course, right? You know, we don't want to take in too much food during this time either. We want to be careful with that. We're setting a trend for the year. Of course, we feast at the Seder because that's the time for feasting. But otherwise, you know, we focus on using the physical as minimally as is needed to accomplish the work God has for us in the world. Don't take more time or stuff from this world than you need. And to be honest, we need a lot less than what we might think. Anything extra will only sink you into mere physicality. The word for Passover, Pesach, means to leap over. This is a time for hopping levels. We don't want to be dragged down to the earth when God is making it possible for us to transcend, right? We want to be limber and light. I'll mention here one last point connected to the idea of rebirth the mode of a newborn is not primarily that of understanding, right? But it's more like simple receiving. What is happening now is not necessarily accessible to our understanding. It is very spiritual. And the physical reflection of that very high work is particularly low, which is how reflection works. In the Passover story, God does an extremely lofty work of transferring Israel from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. These are spiritual kingdoms. But the physical reflection of this very spiritually lofty work is that the people physically leave Egypt. I call this a low reflection because the salvation hasn't touched the soul of the people to a great degree yet. Their physical surroundings have changed. But they are largely the same people, just in a different spot. But my point here is to say that neither the very high spiritual work of transferring kingdom, nor the low reflection, you know, exist in the territory of the mind. Right? We're above the mind, but we're down low here. And you know, the mind is where the understanding is. It's a it's higher than that, and it's lower than that. So understanding will follow eventually. But this is not the time to search, you know, for whatever God is doing in your life right now in in such a way that you think you can understand it. Just focus on moving when he says to move, right? Leave the understanding for later. So before we look briefly at unleavened bread and first fruits, let's focus just a bit on the theme of freedom, What are we being set free from, right? We think of freedom probably as what's talked about the most. This is the season of being set free. And so what are we being set free from? We have talked in previous teachings about how Egypt represents the physical world in general. Egypt is the archetype of exile, and our spirit's experience a kind of exile just by coming down to this dark place of the material realm where it looks like everything exists on its own without a creator right the soul doesn't the spirit doesn't necessarily want to come down to this place of exile the whole physical world is like a place of exile for the soul so the point i want to make here about freedom is that we are not exactly being set free from the physical realm the physical is good. What we are being set free from is the rulership of the physical, symbolized by the fact that Israel is in slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh is their master and owner. Physicality is good and useful, but it is not meant to be our ruler, our master. So, we're being set free from the mastery of the physical. So, having said that, we have to wonder why God's plan is that we wake up into life in these bodies with the physical in control, right? A baby wants to take everything and just put it in its mouth, right? Already in our first conscious moments, the physical dominates us and we cry for food and we cry when we aren't comfortable for any number of reasons. In the same way, God ordained that Israel would be in slavery in Egypt when it was forming as a nation in the womb. Egypt is the womb. Even when Israel comes out of Egypt, they are very physically oriented people, as can be seen with the incident of the golden calf. Why did God want Israel to form in such a dark physical place? I think the answer is that It is in the overcoming of the flesh that we grow in our relationship with God. It is in the battle to master the flesh that we grow up into the mature bride God desires. And the mature bride doesn't run away from the flesh. She masters it and puts it to good use, spiritual uses. She uses it to serve She uses it to become a living sacrifice. Freedom is not found in destroying the darkness, the physical. It's found in mastering it and turning the darkness into light. And that's what we mean by transcending, right? We take that which was ruling over us and we rule over it and we use it for spiritual purposes, right? That's turning the darkness into light. Well, let's turn our attention now to the Festival of Unleavened Bread, or matzah. You know, specifically focus on that part. We've already touched upon one of the main ideas, specific to the Festival of Matzah, when we talked about humility, making ourselves low. You know, matzah is low. It's it's lowly. It's poor man's bread, and it's literally low. So, like I said earlier, the first day of unleavened bread begins with the seder. Right, so that Passover preparation day, which ends with the Seder, is overlapping with the first moments of unleavened bread, which also happen at the Seder. And then first fruits happens on the second day of unleavened bread. It's all happening so quickly that it's almost hard to tease them apart. But the three are distinct in Torah, as I said, and we'll see that there is a reason for keeping them distinct. There are lessons to be learned in treating these three as both one unit, as is normally done, but also separately. Because there's a progression there, and I'm all about the progressions. And we'll talk more about that later. But unleavened bread speaks to us and reflects to us a kind of death that is happening. Matzah is bread that has had the air removed. The air is like the spirit of the bread. The air that is breathed into the bread, like the spirit of life, is breathed into Adam's nostrils. If the spirit is removed, the thing is dead. In a way, matzah is dead bread. It is a vessel that has been emptied out of that which filled it up. And we see that there will be a process of restoring to life, or filling up the vessel again with a new spirit, a new life force, and this is represented by the two leavened loaves offered on the altar at Shavuot, 50 days after Passover. The matzah of Passover is filled up throughout the counting of the Omer, it's filled up with air again by Shavuot, and those two leavened loaves are then altered are, are then um, offered on the altar, but before we arrive at that leavened bread that is somehow kosher to offer on the altar, we have you know we have to be humble enough to say to God, Empty me out of that which needs to go. This isn 't only sin you know we 're not only talking about being emptied out of sin, though we are talking about that, but It could be whatever mental and emotional prisons we build for ourselves. These are built on lies. Or it could be a whole set of teachings that aren't quite hitting the mark, maybe from a religious tradition we grew up in. To whatever degree they aren't hitting the mark, they are lies too. Yeshua apparently chose largely unlearned men to be his close disciples, men who weren't already filled up with another rabbi's teachings. They were fillable, teachable, moldable. So we need to be asking God now to reveal the lies we have believed, the lies we have told ourselves that are keeping us locked up, the lies that others have taught us that are in the way, blocking the fullness of truth from flooding in. Releasing the lies and the behaviors that come with them. It feels like death, and it truly is a kind of death. It is death to the half-life, the zombie life. Death is separation. God wants to draw us away from the life that is not life, the life of being smothered in Egypt. It feels like death to release Egypt because we're good at developing strategies for coping with Egypt. We grow accustomed to that place, and we even grow comfortable there. And we can hardly imagine that a better life, the real life, exists elsewhere on the path into the desert with God leading the way. Egypt is all we know, right? It's all we know. If you're born into the darkness, all you know is the darkness, and you figure out how to cope with the darkness. Truly, it takes a miracle be delivered from that place. It takes a miracle for us to see the lies that trap us, but praise be to God that he is in the miracle business. And this is the season for it. And God is saying to us now, it's over. That half-life, that imitation of life is over. Walk away from it. I have something much better for you. I have real life for you and you're going to love it. But you have to trust me, separate from the world, and be holy. So far here with Unleavened Bread, we've been focusing on our part, our role, but our role only comes after Yeshua's. Yeshua is first, and we imitate him. And as we saw with Yeshua's surrender to death at Passover, Yeshua is the real story behind Unleavened Bread. You know, it would have been on the first day of unleavened bread that yeshua's body and spirit would have been separated from each other and that's what we call death it's unclear what yeshua was doing during that time but first peter 3 seems to indicate that he proclaimed to the spirits in prison those who had been disobedient day 1 of unleavened bread would have been the only full day that yeshua would have been dead in the sense that his body and spirit were separated from each other. Well, the third of the three special days here is fruits, And so unlike Pesach and Matzah, fruits is done by the priesthood on behalf of the people. So it's not discussed much. Israel is not allowed to eat of the new crops until the priests successfully offer the firstfruits of the new crop to the Lord on this one day if they should ever fail in this, the consequences could be quite dire for the nation. And we don't have a record of the priesthood ever failing on first fruits. You know, but they've got that 24 hour time span in which they are to bring the first fruits offering and unlock the eating of all of the new year's harvest. So it's not discussed or recognized much, but firstfruits is not an inconsequential day. The first to ripen of the new crops is barley. So the first fruits offering is an omer of fine barley flour, something like three and a half pounds. It is mixed with olive oil and it's sprinkled with frankincense and waved before the Lord. Firstfruits is a food offering and the food of the nation depends on it. Through it, Israel acknowledges that all of the harvest to come, all of the food to come, depends on God and God alone. Notice that while matzah looks to an emptying out, first fruits looks more to the end result, the harvest, the food which fills up. But of the two, the one that is emphasized in the spring is matzah the dying, the emptying. We see this in the fact that the festival of unleavened bread extends beyond first fruits, extending for a whole week. So that's the emphasized one there. But even though the emphasis of the time is more on dying, here we have in first fruits a sort of picture of the end goal included as the whole cycle is getting underway again, right? First fruits is very much about resurrection. So that brings us to Yeshua. That that picture of resurrection needs to be included there at the beginning, even though it's focused a little bit more on dying there with the seven days of matzah. Well, Yeshua at the heart of first fruits is not hard to see. On the third day, his body and spirit were reunited and he rose from the grave the first fruits from the dead and the world was changed in an instant first fruit like the others is a reflection of yeshua not the other way around right it all starts with yeshua these days are reflecting him first first fruits is the celebration of the harvest of seed and in this case barley seed that's what that's what the Harvest is, we're harvesting grass seeds, in fact, barley is a type of grass, wheat is a type of grass. We are to take the story of Yeshua's death and resurrection and ingest it like a seed. Yeshua is the seed promised to Abraham. We take Yeshua's story and bring it into our minds and hearts and let it touch our emotions and we digest it. And the church even developed communion as a gesture of bringing Yeshua into our physical bodies, right? Not just our head, not just our heart, our emotions, but actually our physical bodies as well. And through learning his story, trusting in it, trusting in him and allowing his story and who he was and is to fill us up inwardly, Yeshua lives in us. And anyone who takes in the seed that is Yeshua will not regret it because Yeshua in us sprouts and bears every fruit of the good life, the true life. Well, I want to go um, deeper into this topic of the seed now because God's way is to give us the free gift of the seed at the beginning of salvation. And it is the seed that becomes the touchstone and a great source of strength for us. In other words, we are to see the whole of the Passover season from Pesach to unleavened bread to first fruits as the seed of salvation for the year. It contains the whole picture of salvation and is the map of the healing and growth to come. The Passover season is the DNA that will unfold in the year. It's by God's design that the agricultural context For the beginning of the calendar is the grain harvest, which is starting there at first fruits. So that is to say, when we are focused on Passover, you know, during that time of the year, Israel is getting ready to harvest seeds upon seeds from the fields. As we open up this topic a little, I want to first point out that the word seed is emphasized on the third day of creation. That's the day that boundaries are given to the seas and dry land as caused to appear, God then creates the plants. And listen to the emphasis on seed in the two verses related to the plants. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, right? So we see the word seed many times there. Day three brings to completion a three-step mini-picture of salvation that starts with a kind of undifferentiated, chaotic unity that starts day one, right? At the very beginning, moves into you know, that chaotic kind of unity moves into a strong separation on day two. Separation's already beginning on day one, but day two is really focused on separation, and that's the separation of the waters above and the waters below, and the third step there is the establishing of order and life below on day three, right? Order is brought to the chaos of the waters below, and then the dry land, and then the the life, the vegetation, and the emphasis of the life on day three is this word seed, so we're seeing a kind of goal reached on day three, a little mini picture there from days one, two, and three, and we can say step three, you know, is the goal of step three is the seed, Well, if you think back to elementary school, you were probably taught the three main parts of the seed. You're seeing a lot of threes here. Those three parts are the embryo, the food storage, and the seed coat. The embryo is the living part of the seed and is actually the smallest of the three parts. It might look like a tiny little white shoot that's squished in there, locked up in the seed The food storage takes up most of the space in a seed, and that's the bulk of what we eat when we harvest seeds of various grasses like wheat and barley. The seed coat is obviously the hardest and darkest part, the external layer that protects the seed. So in other words, the seed could be said to have a spirit, soul, and body, And in fact, we can think of the first three days of creation as spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is the living part that animates the seed, the embryo tucked away inside. The soul is the majority of the seed, though it's not visible from the outside, the starchy food storage area that is the real substance of the seed. The body is the seed coat that protects the seed and gives it a form and shape. In the same way, Pesach, unleavened bread, and first fruits are like the seed of salvation for us that we can identify with the more spiritual side of the calendar, or a spiritual side of salvation, rather, the soulish aspect to salvation and the physical aspect to salvation. And these three will play out during the whole cycle of the year. The seed composed of these three moedim will sprout and bear its fruit, and it's a fruit that touches every part of us. So Pesach is the most spiritual of the three. It is quick and almost outside of time. The Seder meal is described as happening between the evenings. It is a time for the transferring of faith and for getting the big picture it's a time for unity within the family. Unleavened bread is soulish in the sense that it touches both the spiritual and the physical. The soul is, in a way, like the rakia of day two of creation, the atmosphere. You can look at it as either that which divides the waters above and below, or that which connects the two, right? Like, does the neck divide the two parts of the body or does the neck connect the two parts of the body? Well it just depends on how you're looking at it. And matzah itself has two sides to it, both a spiritual focus and a physical one. Right? The soul is touching both sides, the spiritual and the physical. The spiritual life is embodied or no, sorry is emptied out of the matzah, the air that animates it from the inside. And so the spiritual focus is one of emptying out of the soul, we could say. Right? The spiritual part of matzah, empty out the air. But matzah also has a physical focus in that it is, in fact, bread. right? That flat matzah speaks to us of how we are to be an empty vessel, ready for a new filling. Matzah is connected to the Seder, in that it's the bread we eat at the Seder. Okay? So on the one hand, it's connected to the spiritual Passover, it's connected to the Seder and it's connected to firstfruits in that firstfruits is an offering of barley flour used to make bread, right? Connected both to the Seder and connected to the idea of bread, which connects us to first fruits. The fact that the first fruits offering is barley flour means that it's especially earthy. Barley is considered food for animals. But don't we say that we have an animal side and we call that the flesh, the barley flour offered at first fruits with olive oil and the sprinkling of frankincense are the physical stuff used to make the bread, but it's not quite bread yet. It's just the physical components of the bread. So one way we can see first fruits is that one of its characteristics is a focus especially on the physical components. Of life, Again, to sort of summarize these musings about the seed, one of my points here is to show that Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits form the seed of salvation that will play out in the year, and that salvation touches all parts of our being, from the spiritual to the soulish to the physical. The three moedim occur right on top of each other and are usually thought of as one combined moed, one seed. But what they contain in them is the plan for a whole year's growth in each realm of the human being, right? Three parts to that seed. Well, for my last topic here today, I'd like to zoom in on just the Seder to see the whole picture of salvation there. Remember that one important characteristic of the salvation pattern, is that it's the same picture of salvation on every Zoom level. In the same way that the three Moedim of Passover, Matzah, and first fruits form a single picture of salvation, so does the very first have the whole picture all by itself. The way I want to bring that out, you know, connected to Passover, is through a quick look at the two verses that provide the outline for the Seder. To see the whole picture of salvation in these two verses and they're in Exodus 6 verses 6 to 7 and this is what it says say therefore to the people of Israel I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians okay? I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them okay deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, okay, redeem you, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, right, so I will take you to be my people, So we could rephrase these four steps, which become the four cups that structure the the Seder. We could rephrase it like this. And so listen for the whole story of salvation here. God is saying, one, I will take off the burden of death from you. Two, I will break the mastery of sin over you. Three, I will marry you like a kinsman redeemer. And four, I will establish an intimate relationship of deep knowing with you, right? The verse said, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So let me repeat those. I will take off the burden of death from you, I will break the mastery of sin over you. I will marry you like a kinsman redeemer. And four, I will establish an intimate relationship of deep knowing with you. So that is the story of the whole year of salvation, the whole pattern of salvation. And here we are seeing it in two short verses and four lovely cups of wine around which this Passover Seder meal has been structured since ancient times quite a remarkable legacy of ancient wisdom in a meaningful and practical package of the Seder preserved through these many centuries. And we are very blessed to have the Seder as part of our inheritance today. Well, in closing here today, let me just bless you that your Seders would be times for both remembering the past and receiving something new from the Father that they would be times to help build each other up in faith, that we would be strengthened to walk out of Egypt to a higher level of freedom, that the Seder would be a seed of salvation for us, and that we would see the Lamb of God ever more clearly as we walk with him this year. And may he make us into the people he wants us to be. Shalom.